But this morning, we're, uh, we're not talking about uh, pharmaceuticals or any of that stuff, but uh, I wonder, how is your flow this morning? You may be wondering, uh, that depends on what you're talking about. <laughs> you'll, you'll get it here in just a little bit, but what we've been talking about is the fact that um, you know, the culture out there is, is not great for setting boundaries for us. They, they like the painted gray lines that, that are easy to step over, and they say uh, things that make it sound like, you know, they care, like drink responsibly, you know, consolidate your debt, uh, crazy things like that, that really don't provide any limits. And, and yet God has boundaries and has set boundaries. He even says that in His words, and we're, we're not supposed to move those boundaries because He set them for a purpose, and the purpose is to keep us out of dangerous or off-limits areas. He's never trying to deny us when he sets up a, a boundary. He's trying to keep us from harm, just like guardrails that you see out there. You know, they put them up because it, it will do minimal damage to your car, but you think about what happens if the guardrail wasn't there. What would happen to that car? What would happen to you? And God does the same thing with spiritual, emotional, financial relationship boundaries. And and that's the reality. Is, is he sets those boundaries in a safety zone so that we don't end up off the cliff in a ditch facing maximum damage when he's like, hey, when you rub up against this, you realize, and I, I use the illustration of electric fences, it should cause us to draw back. Instead of like, how much can I take? How far can I go? When we run into boundaries, we should realize it's there for our protection. It should cause us to draw back. And when we draw back... We're actually drawing closer to the one who's guarding us and protecting us instead of standing there, keep trying to push the boundaries. And if you've ever read through Proverbs, it's a, it's a great place. I'm going I'm to launch from there this morning. You don't have to turn there. It should be on the, on the screen. But it says, above all else, this is Proverbs chapter 4, uh, verse 23, above all else, think about this. He's, he's just laid a bunch of stuff on us. Above all else, guard your Heart, put a boundary on your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So again, I ask you this morning, if knowing that everything that you do flows from your heart, how is your flow? The big question. You see, we need those guarded hearts, not to make us unfeeling or, or robotic or, or to isolate ourselves, but to guard what comes in and to guard what comes out. Because in, until God is done perfecting us, really the heart becomes the microphone for the mouth. <laughs> and you say things that you, where did that come from? It came from your heart, whether you realize it or not. And once it's been said, you can't take it back. Once it's been done, you can't take it back. And so we have to understand that uh, even though uh, we think that we're doing okay, the reality is without a guarded heart... We can end up with behavior that we thought, where in the world did that come from? But secondly, he didn't say, guard your heart for everything you feel flows from it. Notice that. He's not worried about what you feel. He's making a direct correlation that your behavior, your actions flow from your heart. That, and not just the 
physical thing that's about the size of your fist that beats about 80 beats per minute and supplies blood flow to the body. That's just the organ, but the true heart of the nature, the true heart of the issue, that internal place where our behaviors and our thoughts and our motivations are found, he says that we need to have boundaries on that so that we don't get hurt and that we don't hurt other people. Now, I grew up in a... a I can't even say, we weren't atheists, we were just completely God-ignorant people. And I remember getting my first BB gun, I was so excited. It was one of those nice uh, uh, crossman pump, you could pump it ten times, load that dude up with all kinds of, I mean, didn't even have to uh, put a new BB in every time. And I remember thinking how great that was, and I'd go out and I'd shoot little targets, and pretty soon I progressed to birds, which my mom didn't like too much. And uh, but I remember I, I, it wasn't like right away, but there was something in me that we were outside playing one day, and I thought, I wonder what would happen if I shot my brother. And there should have been a check that said, that's kind of dumb. But as I'm thinking that, my, my hands go into motion. And then I'm thinking, how much should I pump it up? So here's a brother that's thinking, I wonder how much I should cause my brother pain. Just a couple pumps, or should I see if it'll go through his shirt? I mean, do I just want to welt him, or do I want to dig this thing out? Uh, The end of the story did not turn out well for me. Uh, It did not uh, mutilate, hurt, or even penetrate my brother, but his Uh, spontaneous wailing and screaming as if I had disfigured him for life was heard by my mother and uh, it did not bear well for me so if you heard nothing else don't shoot your siblings with guns okay my question is where does that come from where does that motivation come from where those thoughts come from when I hadn't been thinking about that. I didn't. It's like, hey, plan for the day. Shoot my brother with a BB gun. But most of us grew up with our parents trying to modify our behavior, right? Don't do this. Don't do that. You're going to get a spanking if you... And they modify, modify, modify. And, and again, most of that is, is very necessary. But then pretty soon as you get older then the world begins to try to modify your behavior and and they show you how you're supposed to dress and what words you can say and can't say and people you should be around and not be around. And it's about behavior modification so that you can either get reward or avoid pain. And, And the reality is that Jesus is like, but I'm not about behavior modification. I want heart transformation. Because if I can transform your heart your behavior will change as well. And many of you, if you grew up in the church, you know that there were times in the church, unless you were in a really great church, but most churches went through a time where it was about behavior modification. (laughs) 
You had to look like this, dress like this, make sure you do this. And, and the church, not the Bible, became the sense of what authority was in your life. And, and I've shared that before, too. There was, there was moments in our marriage and, and as we're raising our kids that we said no to things for our kids, not because the Bible said no, because the church said no. And it leaves this weird, awkward gap of, well, the church says this, but the Bible doesn't say this, so... But there's a lot of pressure to conform our behavior. And what happens is it almost breeds rebellion. Because I don't know about you, but I grew up in one of those households too, that especially the interaction between me and my mom, my dad worked a lot and he was more quiet. And, and uh, my mom was more the, uh, let's say, hands-on. <laughs> and it was, you're going to sit there and you're going to like it. Well, I may sit here, but I ain't going to like it. And as soon as she would want to make me sit down, guess what I would want to do? Stand up. And that's what happens with, with anything that tries to modify our behavior with threats or ultimatums or pressure. The human being tries to resist and we push back. But if God can get a hold of our heart which will activate behavior. Then he doesn't have to modify the behavior. The behavior will be modified itself because our heart is transformed. And it is a process. We, we can't just expect somebody that gets saved today to know everything to do, that their behavior will be modified. And I know that's hard on, especially o- older Christians, that uh, they forgot the process that it went through, and it was a different time in America. I get that, but you know, these people should just know. What is the statute of limitations? Two weeks before the life is perfect? Two years? Twenty years? How long do we have? Well, that's not up to us. That's up to God and up to the heart condition of that person. And that was Old Testament stuff, but Jesus realized as he's leading this new group of guys that, hey, they've got to understand this too, because if not, their hearts are really going to struggle through, through my messages and where I'm leading this to be. And so he picks this opportune time. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, he kind of jumps in there and he realizes, hey, if we're going to really change the world, I've got to have these guys' hearts and they've got to trust me. And the way that they've been trained to respond, I'm going to have to undo that. And so we find this weird... Uh, I won't say conflict, but this weird engagement here in Matthew chapter 15 is is Jesus is, is talking and he's sharing some information and it says this, uh, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus first from Jerusalem. And, and again, first of all, if you've never read this, understand that they weren't there really to learn. They were there to try to trick him, try to bait him, try to find a way to isolate him so that they could do away with him because they were tired of him at this point. And they came to him and they asked a really great question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Okay, so back in those days, they were coming out of the the Old Testament where they had very strict uh, religious and dietary laws about what was clean and unclean and cleanliness was a big thing. But the issue was that man always has a, a, a desire to control and we keep expanding. And so just so you know, 
the priests, the temple workers, they were required to wash and to be cleansed, not just spiritually, but physically. They would actually have to do a washing. But what happened is they began to expand that out to everybody needs to do this. And maybe you've been around people like that. They make a decision, and that means everybody's going to do it. Husbands, if you've ever had a wife that went on a, vac- on a diet, it really means that everybody in the house is on a diet, doesn't it? We're eating like this now. Well, I don't want to eat like that. I'm not on a diet. We are now. Here's your cardboard. And so it, notice that, that they spoke the truth. He says, why do they break the tradition? They didn't accuse him of breaking a law because they knew it wasn't a law. But what had happened is they had corrupted the law, and they said, this should apply to everybody. If it's going to apply to us, it should apply to everybody, and that's pretty dangerous. But Jesus replies, like he does so often, Instead of just answering the question, he asked another question, and and this is such a good practice for us. Jesus says, okay, so why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Ooh, bazinga. You're asking why my guys are breaking a tradition. I'm asking you why you're breaking a command. See, they expanded that law. They created a, a tradition for their own benefit. And it's kind of like uh, we went through a time uh, with our kids, especially my oldest, uh, oh, stubbornness. And that word unfair, that's not fair. That's not, I mean, every time we turn around, that's not fair. Everything was always questioned. And uh, it's like you want to say, okay, I'm just telling you, don't talk disrespectfully to your mother. Great. I won't talk to her at all. So you create a rule to keep from following the other rule. But in doing so, by not talking to his mother, he's still disrespecting his mother. But he tried to create a rule. That's fine. You want a rule? I'll make a rule. I won't talk to her at all. I won't say anything disrespectful. I won't even acknowledge that she exists. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. They're creating these rules that weren't laws, but they're trying to make them laws so they would benefit them at the extent of other people. Specifically, what he's getting to is the heart of their greed is that at some point the Pharisees, because of their law, could say, I donate, I dedicate everything in my life to God. And this is a great rule. Uh, You should try it sometime. It doesn't work out so well, but you should try it sometime. I dedicate everything in my life to God. It's His now. But the benefit is I get to keep using it for my own benefit. Now you think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, for some of these, as their parents got older and older needed help, and their parents said, hey, son, you've got to come help us, they would say, sorry, Mom and Dad, I've dedicated everything to God. I can't help you. It's all God's now. I have nothing to give you. And this kind of came from that expanding a rule to ignore a rule. When Jesus said, honor your mother and father, not dedicated to God so you don't have to honor your mother and father, they were doing all this trick. And so he was trying to say, hey, 
I'm not asking you uh, about washing hands, but the reality is you're trying to create rules to keep you from following another rule. The reality is you're following a tradition, but you're actually breaking the commandment of God. And he's trying to get to their heart issue. And you can read through the rest of that, but we'll jump down to, to verse 10. And his disciples are hearing all of this, and, and they're not the brightest group. They're a bunch of fishermen and workers and, and all this. And, and at that time, he calls the multitude to himself. He says, hey, listen, I want you to get this. I want you to hear and understand something. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. It's what comes out of their mouth that defiles them. Now, for all these Jews that had grown up with all these rules and all these uh, re- washing rituals and all this stuff, this was like almost a slap in the face of, what, what do you mean? We've been doing this for... It's a tradition, and that's the problem. They'd forgotten the law, the command that brought liberty and protection, and they'd embraced a tradition that brought bondage and hardship. And Jesus is saying, hey, you're worried about dirty hands? <laughs> That's not the problem. That's not the problem at all. And he uses that word defile, and that really means to, to remove your relationship with God. And, and this is what, if you grew up around a lot of this legalism, I hope I can give you some liberty this morning and, and, and get this this morning. Defilement is about that relationship with God, but food doesn't change that. That's from the word of Jesus. That's not me. That's not some new theory. Jesus says food doesn't change your relationship with God. What you eat, what you drink, doesn't change your relationship with God. But our heart condition can change that. So does he speak about gluttony? Well, gluttony is not about food. It's about the heart condition. Drunkenness isn't about the liquid. It's about a heart condition. So he's like, it's not about food and drink, but you do it in excess, and then it becomes an issue because it's a heart issue. But Jesus was really just letting them know, hey, you really want to know what's upsetting to God? You think he's worried about what you eat? He's upset by how you're treating people. Now, that was the big shocker, and that's a big shocker to even Christians today that they think that God's really interested in following the rules, and God's a lot more interested in how we treat one another. Because if the standard is how we treat one another, whether than whether we followed the rules and did this and did that and abstained from this and did more of this and a lot more of that and less of this, then we'd treat each other better, and there'd be more love and forgiveness and joy. But instead, what happens is it becomes a, a shoving match trying to earn credit and do enough good and avoid enough bad. And, and it's like somebody hanging on a pull-up bar trying to do as many as they can, but pretty soon you can't do enough because it's performance-based. And Jesus says, it's not about that at all. I took care of all your debt of sin. You know what your responsibility is now? Love one another. Forgive one another. Bear each other's burdens. But that's tough. Can't we just go back to attendance? (laughs) Can't we just get our gold star for tithing? Can't we just, hey, I dress modestly. Don't I get a check mark for that? And all of those things are good, but you're missing the point. 
And that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. You've learned this tradition, but you've forgotten what it was there for. It's not about just following the rules. It's not what goes into your mouth. So then Peter being Peter, I just love Peter. He is so awesome. Because <laughs> he's such a normal guy. He just explains that, hey, it's not what goes into your mouth. And, and Peter's like, okay, I get that. Yeah, got you, Jesus. Um, can you explain that? So Jesus says, okay, we're going to bring this down to, to body interaction 101. Are you ready, Peter? Yep. Notice what he says. I love what he says, verse 16. Are you still that dull? Are you, this, are you really this stupid? And I don't think he was stupid. I think he was faced with that tension of, we've heard this our whole lives. You got to this, 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 and this. And now you say... We don't? Wait a minute. Don't you see that whatever enters your mouth, he's taking it to baby steps, right? Goes into your stomach. Peter's like, yeah, I, I get that. And then goes out of the body. Yeah, I get that. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these are the things that defile them. And notice what he says. Notice that the, those things become behaviors. Because he went from a tradition, all of a sudden, out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And that's not all of him. He's just giving him a limited verse saying, hey, this is where that stuff comes from. It doesn't just happen. It's coming from your heart. Verse 20, this is what defiles a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Now, you'd think that Peter would get that, but he still doesn't, because you're going to see way on down the line, he's trying to set Peter up for a specific reason, and, and we'll get to that someday, but the reality is he's trying to set Peter up to realize your tradition is keeping you from sharing the gospel. Because at this point, Jews can only hang out with Jews. You're forbidden to enter a Gentile's house because they are unwashed barbarians. And later on, you're going to see that God actually gives him a divine vision where he lowers a sheet three times and there's all manner of, of creatures in there. And he says, rise and kill and eat. And Peter refuses. Even though he's had this interaction with Jesus, he still says, nope, I've never, I'm not doing that, Lord. You've taught us not to do that. And then about that time, he's like, I'm sending you to a Gentile's house. And it wasn't about the food at all. He wasn't him just giving a stamp that bacon is now on the menu. What he's really saying is, you've got to stop looking at what I call clean as dirty. You've got to stop worrying about those traditions that keep you from loving the people around you. The reality is that unguarded hearts lead to behavior that hurts us and hurts others. And because of that, it upsets God. And, and yes, He doesn't want us to be, quote, lawbreakers. 
but the laws are in place to protect us and others, not so we get a checkbox for doing good. Last week I shared that God's kingdom is an others first kingdom. He's interested in how we interact with and love the people around us. And as the culture changes and becomes more me-centered, and I don't care about you, it's about me, and I've got a reason why I'm me, and there's a reason why you should be like me, God's plan flows right in the face of that and says, no, it's about everybody else. It's about others first. It's about God, then it's about others, and then it's me in third place instead of me first and everybody else has to line up. But there's some motions that are pretty powerful in life that we've got to watch out for as far as what guarding comes because, not because they're worse than anything else, but I think they just have long-term effects. And so we're going to talk through these real quick. So first one is guilt. And guilt really means you, I owe you. You've done something and you owe somebody or you owe God and, and that's a horrible feeling. I owe you something, and I feel guilty. And then there's anger. You owe me. You took something from me. You stole something from me. You changed something in me, and that anger comes up because you, you owe me. And then there's greed. I owe me. Maybe you've even said that. You know, I owe it to myself, too. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) And then there's jealousy. If you don't believe in God, then maybe it's life owes you. This is what we call entitlement today. Somebody just owes us. I deserve a good job. I deserve a new cell phone. I deserve a new house. I deserve everything I've wanted before I'm 30. I deserve it. Why? Because I'm me. if you're Christian, maybe you've had your expectations broken and God owes you. You've been able to get pregnant. You haven't had a a successful marriage. You've been through this. You've been through that. And you're thinking, you know, God, you owe me. Now, you've never voiced it like that, but that's what's happening in your heart. When we notice these feelings, we better Get these things in check because the danger zone is rapidly approaching, not only in our relationship with God, but our relationship with others. Anger and jealousy and greed and guilt can paralyze us and put us on a crash course with a a behavior that begins to get out of control. So we have to guard our heart means that when we feel these things, we have a response. And I'm going to help you with what to do. And, and again, none of these are easy, but they are very simple. So when you sense the guilt, you start feeling that guilt inside of you, you know what you do? Confess. And not to God, because you know what? He already knows. You need to confess to the person that you hurt, the person that you had that interaction with. Let them know, hey, I acknowledge I messed up. I acknowledge my error. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my harsh words. I acknowledge you confess to them. And it's never going to feel good, but we behave long enough in that way, and pretty soon they'll begin to feel right. 
And then it won't be a hard thing because if you really love other people, it won't be hard to say, I am so sorry I did that to you. But when we don't confess it, it stays in the dark, it gets used against us, and it just grows, and pretty soon it creates isolation, it creates avoidance, and pretty soon you don't even want to see that person because all they remind you of is... And this marriage is filled with this, and relationships filled with this, of I can't even look at him, he reminds me so much of his father. And it's not the child's fault, but she feels so guilty... And it's headed on a crash course. Anger. This one's hard. And I've shared this before. When it comes to anger, slash what we call offended, our goal is to forgive. And maybe as soon as you heard that, it's like, but that's just letting them off. Yep, but it's also letting you off. Because when it comes to anger, the you owe me, you need to be specific about what they owe you. Because sometimes we don't even know. That's what's creating the anger. You need to get downright specific. They owe me. And make your list of what everybody owes you. And then at the bottom of it, you just got to write, forgiven. (laughs) How does somebody pay you back for 10 years? How does somebody pay you back for stealing your husband or your wife? How does somebody pay you back for the death of your child? Yes, they owe you, but how do you? At some point, you have to be specific so that you've got it all worked out, and then you've got to forgive. And it feels horrible, but you've got to get it out because it releases you, not just them. And then greed talked about this last week. I owe me. Give. <laughs> and give big to you. Just you decide, hey, I'm not letting them my pocketbook. I'm letting, not letting my bank account. I'm not letting my heart decide that I'm going to be stingy and greedy and, and may not be a big, a big me check or a big somebody else's check, but it may be big for you and you're like, I'm going to show you. And again, don't be stupid about it and write a million dollar check that you don't have a million bucks, Right? <laughs> That's called a faith check. (laughs) But the only way to stop greed in its tracks is to turn to be a giver. And it needs to be something, yeah, I'll give away that shirt doesn't fit me anymore. That's not giving. And then lastly, this one is, I think, the most insidious because especially in church, like I said, I'm, I'm just being authentic with you this morning. This last one, we've learned how to cover it. We've learned how to put a face on it. We've learned how to smile through it when it's eating our guts out. And the way to know if you're jealous is that if somebody else gets a promotion, has something good, you secretly wish that they would fail. You actually celebrate when the bad news comes to them, that's when you know jealousy has got its grips on you. And you may say, hey, but they didn't deserve that promotion. I don't know why the boss likes him, and man, he's going to go up for a fall. That's jealousy. And the way you defeat jealousy is you celebrate. Bob, I am so glad 
even if, even if your heart is saying, don't be glad for him, he took your... Sp-. You're going to celebrate. Write him that thank you card, that encouragement. Bob, I am so... I'm so glad for your new promotion. Sincerely, I think there's a lot of times people around us, we don't even know that they're jealous, but they're, you know, the hard transparency this morning, as I see this a lot among pastors, and it really is wicked. Jealous of somebody else's success, thankful for somebody else's failure, competition, tearing people down, undermining, questioning all of this stuff, and it's just pure jealousy. That's all it is. But we should be celebrating each other. We should be celebrating that the kingdom's doing well. We should be celebrating other Christians having great lives. We should be celebrating that they get a good job and a nice family. They should be celebrating these things, not wishing that it would fail or hoping in secret that it turns out poorly for them. It's not the heart of God. And it won't feel good when we first start, but we behave our way until it does And I'll just tell you up front, a lot of times this may cause a little bit of chaos on the outside when you own up to what's going on. But believe me, it'll sure take care of the chaos on the inside. So your friends are like, man, I never knew you were jealous before. That'll go away. But that jealousy on the inside that eats you inside out, that doesn't go away until you begin to fix it. And the reality is that living like this is why we follow Jesus. It it makes our life better. We don't have all that mess going on in the inside. And it makes us better at life. We learn how to forgive. We learn how to extend grace. We learn how to have mercy. Do you know how many churches have gone through horrible things because it happens from the inside? It's not It's an internal issue. How many churches are fighting against other churches? We should never be fighting other denominations, other churches. We're the kingdom of God. We should never be lowering them down or berating them. It's not our job. Our job is to bless them. And then we wonder, why is the kingdom shrinking? Why does it seem like the culture is winning? We're all caught up in all this. And that's for us that are believers. That's not what God wants. We need guarded hearts, church. It doesn't just happen normally. It doesn't just happen at salvation. It's something we have to develop and say, you know what? I mean, I wish I had, I wish I had learned this long ago because I'll tell you what, there's, from my upbringing and my personality and all that stuff, a lot of times this thing's on fast forward and this thing's on pause. <laughs> And I hurt people and I say things and then I think, I shouldn't have said that. And it's hard to explain to somebody, you know, I, I really didn't mean that. And why did you say it? Because I'm an idiot. And that doesn't make it any better. And if you've ever wondered, where'd that come from? How? That just sounded like my mom or my dad. It came from your heart. <laughs> Many of us have said, I'm never going to be like... 
And then you get to a certain age and you start sounding like me. Like, where did that come from? From your heart. But believe me, this will destroy relationships. And that's what he was trying to get Peter to understand. You're looking at the wrong part of it. You're thinking it's the hands and the food. It's about the other people that we're alienating. It's about the rest of the world that we're pushing away. It's that judgment of saying, ooh, you don't wash your hands before you eat? And many of us don't do that, but it's, ooh, she wore that to church? Oh, did you see he still smokes? Oh, don't you understand that? You know what Jesus says? How about you just love them? How about you just forgive them? How about you show them mercy and grace like I did for you? And it doesn't mean we enable them. Don't buy them the cigarettes and don't buy them the short shorts and... But the judgment zone, knowing who we are, knowing what Jesus Christ has done, that should be that big by now. (laughs) Because if we keep it up, we just keep pushing them out. We keep building walls instead of building bridges. Jesus wants us to build bridges that brings them in. Hey, you don't know what to do? Great, we'll show you how to do this. Quit worrying about those traditions. Quit worrying about that stance or that, that thing that you're so firm on. Let's see what the Bible says. Is it, is it really honoring God? Is it really honoring that other person? I'm going to ask you to stand up with me this morning as we get ready to go. Two parts this morning. How's your heart? How's the flow, right? Are there other people around you saying stuff about you? And it's a heart flow issue. You don't even know. It seems like I was doing so good. And then, blam, we say, oh, I fell off the wagon or I picked this habit back up or whatever it is because it's a heart issue. But how is your flow? And then secondly, are there some people that you need to let off the hook? You need to forgive them. You need to confess. You need to give. You need to move past that. So this week, I'm going to ask if you would remember just to work on those things right there. Confess, forgive, give, and celebrate. Confess, forgive, give, and celebrate. I'm sure there's every one of us that needs to do that somewhere. So let's pray together and ask for the courage and the strength from God to do what we need to do so that we have right relationships with the people in our lives, right relationship with our God. You ready? Let's pray. Father, we come right now. We don't want to be Pharisees. We want to push people away. And I pray, first of all, for the inside, God. I pray for the freedom in everybody's life right now that if they were raised in a legalistic attitude, God, it's not about throwing all the laws out, not at all. But we're not going to follow the traditions of men that push us away from God and from people. So I pray for your liberty, Lord. God, I pray that the burden of 
performance, the burden of looking right, talking right, being right, all of that weirdness, God, I pray that falls off the shoulders like a heavy backpack to somebody this morning, that they truly know what it means that the Son makes them free. Because they can't be good enough, Lord. It's only your goodness. But then secondly, Lord, who do we need to confess to? God, who do we need to forgive? We're angry, and that anger is driving us, it's changing us, it's pushing us away from people, and it's, it's ruining relationships. First of all, with you, it's very difficult to pray when we're angry. Lord, who do we need to forgive? Father, what do I need to give? What's, have I shown people that stuff is more important than them? Have I, have I shown my kids that you can't touch this stuff? This stuff is important, and that stuff's more important than them? That my hobby's more important than them? That my car's more important than them? That my little trinkets are more important than them? Have I, have I shown my wife? Have I shown my husband? Have I shown my friends that stuff is more important than them? Lord, what? Maybe I need to give. And Lord, for this last one that that lurks in the shadows, that we put on the smile, but on the inside, our heart is full of worms. Father, would you help us celebrate? There's somebody in your life you need to celebrate. That jealousy is eating you up. You wish you had what they had. You wish you were that, or even worse, You hope that they fall. You hope that they fail. You're just waiting expectantly for the other shoe to drop in their life. God, deliver us from that mess. Help us to celebrate. So, Lord, as a a pastor, as one in this community, I just extend that right now from, from our church. God, I pray that every church in this city does well. God, I pray that you would bless them that you would send your Holy Spirit into them and anoint them and draw people to them, draw people to us, Lord. God, whoever is following you, you know who are yours and who are not. God, I I don't have to worry about that. That's your business, God. I I just celebrate, Lord. Thank you for the faithful pastors. God, thank you for the faithful people. Help us to celebrate. so that we can give you praise and that we realize we don't want to defile people or defile ourselves, not because of some tradition, but because of the behavior that comes out of our heart. So, Lord, as we go our way this morning, would you help us guard our hearts? Not wall it off, not turn it into stone so we don't feel, but rather the opposite, that we feel so much that we're careful with what we say that we feel so much we're careful with how we live. Not only towards you, but the people in our neighborhood, the people that we sit with, the, the people in our family, we're going to be careful. So God, help us with this tough task as we get ready to go. Help us set up some boundaries so that we don't give in to behavior from an unguarded heart, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
this week? Is there somebody you need to confess to? Is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there something you need to give? Is there something you need to celebrate? Put it in action this week, would you? See you next Sunday. Have a blessed rest of your week. We love you so much. Take some time and talk and share before you go.